0: I feel the fire begin to rise. There are 178 laws that differentiate on the basis of sex. Women can't work overtime. We have to get credit cards in our husband's We're name. We're not allowed to work, work can't
1: in the control. So Something is wrong. This is amazing. You think you can change the country?
0: We should look to her generation. They're taking to the streets. Protests are important, but changing the culture means nothing if the law doesn't change. Who did you say your name was? Ruth Bader Ginsburg. I want to be a lawyer. I want to represent clients in pursuit of justice. So they're going to give you a corner office? I wasn't what they were looking for. One said women are too emotional to be lawyers. Another told me a woman graduating top of her class must be a real ballbuster. I worked hard, I did everything I was supposed to, and I excelled. Martin Ginsburg will be signing all of our checks someday. (laughs)
1: You're a smart girl with you, you married a star.
0: If the law differentiates on the basis of sex, then how will women and men ever become equals? I don't read tax court cases. Read this one. The law assumes a caregiver has to be a woman. This is sex-based discrimination against a man. Poor guy. We need to take this case. This is not a case. This is a declaration of war. They could topple the whole damn system of discrimination. You
1: cannot leave they think gender equality is a civil right. What's at stake is the American family. Let's put this idea to bed once and for
0: all. You will lose. And when you do, you will set the woman's movement back ten years. You don't get to tell me when to quit. I know this case disrupted our lives. And who's it for? If not for me. You cannot me. ready for this your whole life, so go in there and let the judges see the Ruth Ginsburg I know. We're not asking you to change the country. That's already happened without any court's permission. The word woman does not appear even once in the U.S. Constitution. Nor does the word freedom, Your Honor.
1: So we're starting the summer movie series, the last day of the summer. No, I'm just kidding. Okay. The movie is based on the true story, as you saw in the trailer of Ruth Bader Ginsburg, our Supreme Court Justice. And at that time, the movie starts in the 1950s, and our nation was going through a significant, significant disagreements, like today, our times now, right? The movie takes place in the 1950s, which was a time of conformity to strict gender roles, And compliance with society's expectations Um, as you saw in the clip right women were regarded as submissive and inferior Um, most women didn't have jobs most women didn't even go to the university and the only time really they had a job was when they graduated high school and the time they got married and so during the 1960s and the 1970s, there was this radical movement of women that was inspired by the civil, civil rights movement. And this women's liberation movement, it, changed the, it challenged the patriarchy. And so the, it, the issues that they spoke to were the objectification of women, were um, reproductive rights. Does this sound familiar? Um, opportunities for equal employment and equal pay, and the familial roles, just like today. (laughs) Okay, and so there were protests, just like today. And I was reading that there was unfair TV coverage of those protests, which kind of was like today. And there was just this tense debate that went on globally, nationally, and generationally. And for some, they resisted the change and they felt like it was radical social movement. And for others, the change wasn't happening fast enough. And so here we are 50 years later, we still are lining up on different sides of the same issues, which is just amazing to me. And relationships are fractured. People are hurt and Jesus's reputation and his mission, suffer for that. So as followers of Jesus, as Westlight Church, how are we supposed to respond? And so history has a funny way of repeating itself. And so we're going to look at Acts 15 and see what the early church, what happened to them? How did they get to their place? And how did they respond? So if you have your Bibles or if you want to open up your phones to Acts 15, um. At this time, Jesus had already returned to heaven, and he's with the right hand at the right hand of his Father. The Holy Spirit has been gifted to uh, the world through the Pentecost, and the early church was made up of predominantly Jewish Christians. The Jews, as you remember, as you recall, were the chosen people. They were adherents of the law, and now they're adherents of the law and Jesus. They had their own traditional values and their own traditional beliefs that they grew up that went on for generations and generations. So what about the people who weren't Jews? Well, in Acts 8, the gospel spread to the Samaritans, and the Samaritans were half Jews and half Gentiles. And then in Acts 10, Peter, the apostle, one of the, you know, the apostles of, of Jesus, one of his core, he went and he intentionally and specifically shared the gospel with the Gentiles, and many of them came to the faith. And then in Acts 13 and 14, Paul, a former Pharisee, and Barnabas, they go on their missionary journeys, and they had a fruitful ministry, and so many Gentiles were coming to the faith. And and with that, there was serious concern among the Jewish Christians, because the way that these these gentile christians were worshiping was a lot different right because they have totally different traditions they have totally they don't know about the law and then you know the way that they worship god was very different from the way that the jewish christians were worshiping god and so they were really concerned about what is going on and so the two issues were do gentiles first have to become jews before they become christian and do gentiles have to observe the law after they become christians so let's look at Acts 15. Um, certain people, the Jewish believers, came down from Judea to Antioch and were teaching the Gentile believers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. So they're teaching them this. And Paul and Barnabas, they don't like it, <laughs> right? They, this brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp dispute and debate with it was tense. It was crazy. They were like arguing. It was bad. And it was so bad that Paul and Barnabas were appointed along with some of the other Gentile believers to go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and elders about this question. So here are two sides of an issue. And each one believed that their position was right in the eyes of the Lord. And neither one of them would budge, and it got so bad that, like, we need to take this to the elders and the apostles in Jerusalem for some mediation because we cannot do this on our own. We can't solve this on our own. It's just we're stuck. So then, let's continue. When they came to Jerusalem, they well they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and elders to whom they reported everything God had done through them. They're like, this is what's happening at the church of Antioch. This is great. And they were like, oh, that's great. That's great. And then the people are excited. But then some of the believers who belong to the party of the Pharisees, they stood up and they said, the Gentiles must be circumcised and required to keep the law of Moses. Now, if you were with us, and as we've been studying Luke We've been kind of, you know, that, that last chapter we did kind of tainted the Pharisees in a not so uh, beautiful light. <laughs> so let's just try and forget that. <laughs> and let's just try and give these Pharisees the benefit of the doubt. And let's believe the best about their position, right? Because that's what we try to do with our, our parents, our spouses, our children. Let's just try and, like, not devalue the Pharisees and not devalue their position. Let's give them the benefit of the doubt. And let's forget that maybe, you know, their strong argument had to do with their fear of losing their power and their privilege. Let's assume, like, let's just say, you know what? They were worried about the law. They were worried that we were, comp- we were starting this, going down the slippery slope of compromising the law of Moses. Because circumcision is so important. Circumcision to the Jewish faith is, is so important. It matters. Okay. In Genesis 17, all the Jewish males were to be circumcised. And even their, like, foreign slaves that they had needed to be circumcised. Like, everybody in the household had to be circumcised. It was the sign of God's covenant in their flesh. It meant that it was was to be an everlasting covenant. It was supposed to be forever. In Exodus, one of the circumcised—you know, in Exodus, in the book of Exodus— Males had to be circumcised. And even, again, if you wanted to go to the Passover meal, even if you were like a foreigner, you had to be circumcised. To go to the Passover meal, you had to be circumcised. Like that is what identifies you as God's people. That's what identifies you as as part of this covenant, this amazing covenant that God had with his people. And so circumcision, it matters. But for the Jewish Christians, they're like, if we say that they don't have to be circumcised, if their argument wins, then what's going to happen next? are we not going to have Passover anymore? Are we going to like, what about the temple? Are they going to tear down the temple? Are we going to start eating pork and shrimp? Like what's going to happen, right? It's this. once you start with one thing, you're just opening Pandora's box and it was scary and it was valid. And their, their arguments were, were just from the heart, right? That they were worried about the law of Moses. And so it appears in Acts 15, that they had that, they scheduled another meeting and the apostles and the elders they would be the ruling body. And everybody who had uh, like a part in this was going to be able to share. They would be allowed to speak. So let's look at um, verses six through 11. The apostles and the elders met to consider the question. So after much discussion, Peter got up and addressed them. Brothers, No, we believe it through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that we are saved just as they are. So if you look at Acts 8, I can't wait. After we finish Luke in a couple of years, <laughs> we're going to go through Acts. And I can't wait till we get to this because in Acts 8, there's a, he, Peter's just sharing about his whole experience about, about how the Holy Spirit came upon them and how the Spirit was given to the uncircumcised Gentiles is precisely in the way that, it, that the Spirit was given to the Jewish Christians and, 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 and to the um, on the day of Pentecost. And the believers, you know, we're all saved by grace. It's not because of circumcision. It's by grace that we're saved. And so Peter's telling them, like, let's not create these barriers. Let's not put these heavy yokes on them. Let's not make it harder for people to come and follow Jesus. So let's continue. The whole assembly became silent as they listened to Barnabas and Paul telling about the signs and wonders God had done among the Gentiles through them. And so Paul and Barnabas got to share. And if you read, like, um, Acts 13 and 14, you'll hear, you know, you'll you'll be able to, you'll understand what they're talking about and all the great things that happened that God had done. And so everyone's like, oh, that's amazing. And they're hearing this, they're, they're sharing, you know, listening to their testimony. And when they finished, James spoke up. And the ancient historical guy, Josephus, what would you do without Josephus? He describes James, the half-brother of Jesus, as being just. They call him James the Just. And that he had just this outstanding virtue. He was known for his outstanding virtue. And he was the leader of the Jerusalem church at the time. And so he said this. Brothers, he said, listen to me, Simon otherwise known as Peter, has described to us how God first intervened to choose a people for his name from the Gentiles. The words of the prophets, which long hundreds of years before, are in agreement with this, as it is written. And then he quotes a passage from Amos 9. After this, I will return and rebuild David's fallen tent. Its ruins I will rebuild, and I will restore it, that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord, Even all the Gentiles. Even all the Gentiles who bear my name, says the Lord, who does these things, things known from long ago. And so James gives his judgment. It's my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. Instead, we should write to them, telling them to abstain from food polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from the meat of strangled animals and from blood. For the law of Moses has been preached in every city from the earliest times and is read in the synagogues on every Sabbath. And so James, Peter, Barnabas, and Paul, right, they all get to share. They worked within the system that, was, that they kind of created, right? They, when they were having their disagreement in Antioch and they couldn't agree, Paul and Barnabas could have totally been like, okay, you know what? We're going to start two denominations. One's going to be the JCC, and one's going to be the GCC, right? They could have totally said, you guys be the Jewish Christian church, and you guys be the Gentile Christian church, and we'll go with the Gentile Christian church, right? I mean, that could have been totally easy. But no, they worked within the system so that the Jewish and the Gentile Christians could seek the Lord and worship together. And that they would be able to, the Gentiles would be able to worship and be accepted for who they were as Gentiles, and not have to be accepted as Jews. And so, scholars they disagree, like how uh, the four rules, which seem kind of random to me, right? Like how they have to stay away from food polluted by idols, sexual immorality, meat that was strangled by animals, and blood. <laughs> okay. And some of the uh, scholars say, well, you know, he gave these rules because the law is important. And then some scholars say, well, you know, um, these had to do with temple worship. And so they wanted the Gentiles to stay away from the temple worship. And then some scholars said, yeah, that's true. And they were already doing that. So that these rules that James gave, like they were already kind of doing, they were easy. They weren't like, oh, gosh, we got these four more rules, right? That they were already doing it. But all of them agreed that 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 these four rules were not required for salvation that if the gentiles followed them if they may, you know it wasn't because so they could be saved and all of them agreed that these rules that they had it promoted unity that these rules broke down the barriers so that the Jewish people the Jewish Christians and the Gentile Christians could worship together it could you know it was a social barrier they could eat together they could worship together they could it would bring unity among the two groups and we know that whatever james we'll we'll study that i'm sure cuts will clear that up first when we get to acts in 2025 um that the gentile christians in antioch they received that letter we know in acts 15:31, and they were like wow this is encouraging news they weren't like, oh, we got these four rules to follow. They were like, oh, this is encouraging news. Like, everyone's getting together. We're in unity. We're going to be one church. The, the big problem, the dispute, the tension, it's going to go away. Well, it might still be there. But, you know, at least they, we're not fighting anymore, right? That James had this declaration that, that, that we all were to follow. And so I love that the Council of Jerusalem, with the guidance of the Holy Spirit, they had this like, courageous dialogue with one another, right? And that's what we're talking about, is how we connect with, through courageous conversation. That they, had the, the, they heard the stories from the eyewitnesses of Paul and Barnabas and Peter. And that even the people who were affected got to share in this conversation, right? That the Gentiles got to share their testimony. And the people who were concerned about the law, the Pharisees, they got to share their testimony. And so as everyone shared in this courageous conversation that they were able to collaborate and compromise and come up with a solution that created unity, that honored God and created unity in the church. And so I think, how are we supposed to respond? I'm sorry to say I'm very kind of pessimistic, but with the thousands of denominations that we have, it would be really hard to come up with a council <laughs> that all the thousand domin- denominations would agree to, right? So we can't control that, that our world needs more healing, but we can control Westlight, right? We, have, we can choose to respond in the way that the Council at Jerusalem We can choose to connect through courageous conversation, to share things, to share our ideas and our experiences and our feelings and our hopes with people who may think different than us, who may have um, different ideas about how we do things, even the opposite ones. And so, courageous conversations now we're going to watch the movie. This is the moment you all have been waiting for. look like the one Ruth and Marty, her husband, had. They were walking home from a cocktail party. And at that cocktail party, Marty's boss said this to the crowd, a small crowd. He said, Martin Ginsburg will be signing all our checks someday. You're a smart girl, Ruthie. You married a star. Okay, I'm trying to be accepting and not diminish the boss (laughs) or what he said. Um, but we're going to look at the courageous conversation that Marty and Ruth had walking home from that cocktail party.
0: You always do that. What? You act like, like it doesn't matter. No, but all the little brush offs, the dismissive pats on the head, it, it matters, Marty. So why? You know what you're doing is important, so who cares? Okay, fine. Next time my boss gives me a clumsy compliment, I'll challenge him to a duel. Does that make you happy? I wouldn't want to hurt your stellar reputation. Just tell me what you want. Nothing. I want nothing. I, I want you to go to work and wow your bosses and clients and be the youngest partner in the history that's of the firm. fair. Then that's I want not you to work me and home, Marty, so I can sit in my corner and write a lesson plan to inspire the next no, generation of the the students corner. to go forth and fight for equality. I don't understand why you're acting like that's such a bad thing. You're out there training the next generation
1: of lawyers to change the world. Because that's what I wanted to do. So, courageous conversations, I probably wouldn't start with, you always, blah,
0: blah, 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 blah. Uh,
1: That never, don't always and never, that never goes well. And I love, I feel so bad for Marty because um, when he's like, just tell me what you want me to do. And then she's like, nothing. You know, like we've all had those kinds of conversations. But these courageous conversations, you know, that they include sharing our experiences and our feelings. And our hopes, even when that person may not understand and they don't even know what we're coming from because they've had different experiences or they might even disagree, right? And they they had to work it out and they had to keep talking about it. And if we, if you watch the movie, like you see how they were so for each other, like, like. Ruth did, you know, did so much and wanted her husband to succeed, and Marty was the same way. And I think it was in that safe, close relationship that they were able to have these kinds of arguments where they were able to talk and yell at each other and be freely open and honest with one another. Another courageous conversation happened between Ruth and her daughter Jane, and they had a rocky, con- a rocky relationship. And um, probably like most parents in this room, we get a call from the office at the school that says, your child didn't show up today. They ditched. And so Ruth confronts uh, Jane and asks her about what happened.
0: I apologize, okay? I want to know where you were. Denise and I went to a rally to hear Gloria Steinem speak. What? Gloria Steinem. She's a writer. She just started her own magazine. She testified in the Senate. Yeah, I know who Gloria Steinem is. What if you got hurt or arrested? Mom, it's a rally, not a riot. Jane, these things can get out of hand. Okay, well, I'm 15 years old, and you don't need to control every minute of my life. Yes, I do. That is my job. And your job is to go to school and learn. Gloria says we need to unlearn the status quo. So you're on a first-name basis now? You know what, Mom? If you want to sit around with your students and talk about how it is hey, to be a girl, languish. but don't pretend it's a movement, okay? It's not a movement
1: if everyone's just sitting. That's a support group.
0: Jane, that's enough.
1: Okay, so I I bleeped out the swear word because I wanted to make sure. <laughs> I didn't want to offend anyone, and you know, Sometimes arguments between mothers and daughters get heated and stuff comes out, words come out that we don't mean. But as a parent and as a Christian, I think sometimes we get hooked on those words and we're like, wait a minute. And then we go off on a tangent. Why did you say that word? And we get focused on that when really we need to be focused on like, what, why is she upset? What is going on underneath? And like, let's, let's, let's bleep that out in our own minds. (laughs) And let's just focus on what is going on, what's underneath. Let's try and understand their argument and what they're, um, what they're so upset about. Um, because these kinds of conversations, if you, um, this is not just in the movie, but in real life. When we have these courageous conversations, they help shape our understanding. It's like we know what we know. But when we have these conversations, it kind of opens up our minds and helps us to understand like there's a bigger, there's there's other views. And it helps, not even if we don't even have to change our minds, but it helps us to see things different. It helps us to see and view the world differently. And so if we have these courageous conversations, it helps us to understand what we believe and what we understand, but it also helps us to understand what other person's beliefs are and their perspective. And we see this in the movie like both of these conversations really impacted the way that Ruth presented in her final statement to the to the judges, right? Like if you saw the movie in the beginning when she was doing the mock court, it was like her arguments were all muddled. It wasn't like clear. But then, as she had these courageous conversations with um all the, i couldn 't show them all to you, <laughs> but well you know especially with Marty and with Jane that they really helped shape her argument. they really helped her understand what she believes in and helped her understand what where the judge's perspective was coming from, right because they were men, and they didn't know her experience, and they can 't know her experience because they are men, and they, um, so we 're going to show. Um, We're going to show the final scene and um, it's five minutes long. So this would be a great time for you to eat and finish your popcorn. Radical social change.
0: When I was in law school, there was no women's bathroom. (laughs) It's amazing to me now that we never complained. Not because we were timid, we were just astounded to be in law school at all. A hundred years ago, Myra Bradwell wanted to be a lawyer. She had fulfilled the requirements for the Illinois bar, but she wasn't allowed to practice because she was a woman. An injustice, she asked the Supreme Court to correct. Illinois was so confident of victory, they didn't even send a lawyer to argue their side. They were right, she lost. That was the first time someone went to court to challenge his or her prescribed gender role. A hundred years ago. Radical social change. 65 years ago, when women in Oregon wanted to work overtime and make more money as men could, the court looked to the precedent in Bradwell, and said no. So then there were two precedents, then three, then four, and on, and on, and you can draw a direct line from Myra Bradwell to Gwendolyn Hoyt, told ten years ago she was not entitled to a jury of her peers. That is the legacy the government asks you to uphold today. You are being urged to protect the culture and traditions and morality of an America that no longer exists. A generation ago, my students would have been arrested for indecency for wearing the clothes that they do. (laughs) 65 years ago, it would have been unimaginable that my daughter would aspire to a career. And a 100 years ago, I would not have the right to stand before you. There are. 178 laws that differentiate on the basis of sex. Count them. The government did the favor of compiling them for you. And while you're at it, I urge you to read them. They're obstacles to our children's aspirations. You're asking us to overturn nearly a century of precedent. I'm asking you to set a new precedent, as courts have done before when the law is outdated. But in those cases, the courts had a clear constitutional handle. The word woman does not appear even once in the U.S. Constitution. Nor does the word freedom, Your Honor.
1: Go on. Professor Ginsberg.
0: The principal purpose of Section 214 is not to protect women nor to discriminate against men. It is to provide caregivers the opportunity to work outside the home. Therefore, as the Supreme Court did in Levy v. Louisiana, this court should fix the law most in line with the legislative intent. Extend the deduction to never married men. Help all caregivers equally. Charles Moritz was well-raised to be the sort of man we should all hope our sons will become. Charlie deserves our admiration. Not only has he taken on the burden of caring for his very strong-willed mother when no one would expect it of him, But in doing so, he has surpassed the limitations, the rest of us, and our laws seek to force upon him. We're not asking you to change the country. That's already happened without any court's permission. We're asking you to protect the right of the country to change. Our sons and daughters are barred by law from opportunities based on assumptions about their abilities. How will they ever disprove these assumptions if laws like Section 214 are allowed to stand? We all must take these laws on, one by one, for as long as it takes for their sakes. You have the power to set the precedent that will get us started. You can right this wrong. Our case on our briefs and argument and ask that you reverse the tax court's decision.
1: So, what's Westlight's response? People are lining up on different sides of the same issues. Relationships are fractured, and people are hurt, and Jesus' reputation and his mission suffer. We can't control the world, but we can control us. So I'm encouraging us to start with us. We all don't agree on every issue. We all believe that we might be right in the eye of God. But we need to start with us and engage in courageous conversation. So if I were to paint a picture of what experiencing heaven together looks like for us, it would be for us connecting through courageous conversation, in relationship with one another, sharing our hopes and our experiences and our feelings with one another without diminishing the person that is disagreeing with us or diminishing their argument which, as we know, is easier said than done. It's, it's in this space that we can agree to disagree, but not like you go to your place and I'll go to my place. But if we can agree to disagree on these, these issues that maybe are, are important, but the greater importance is love, that we honor God with the way that we love one another, And if we could say, you know what, we don't agree. You know what, that got pretty tense. You know, I kind of accidentally swore at you. I didn't mean to do that. But if we could say, you know what, we want to honor God with our love. And we're going to stay in relationship with one another. We are going to, you know, we may not work this out, but we are not going to leave. We're not going to leave this church. We're not going to leave and move away or whatever. That we are going to be committed to one another because of our love for God and our love for his reputation and his mission. And so I imagine that, that we would be able to respect one another in our differences and respect, respect and honor the differences. We need, we, we need to have our differences because our differences and our different perspectives and views of thinking, they help us. They make us better and stronger as a church. So we need to have these courageous conversations if we want to be the church that God desires us to be. the the, the church that God desired us to have all along. And so I imagine that we would respect one another's differences, that we would be able to experience heaven together here, and just like in the movie, that with the guidance of the Holy Spirit, That we, Westlake, could lead the charge of change, just like Barnabas and Paul and James and Peter did. That we could be like them. That we could lead the charge of change one conversation at a time. I loved in the movie that she just, Ruth Bader Ginsburg just took one case at a time. And each case built and built and built and made a greater impact. And we can do that too, one courageous conversation at a time. Let's pray.